0: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Well, welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Bill Hendricks, Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. Today, we want to look at really what is a dark side of culture, and that is the whole topic of human trafficking. And I want to get into this by telling a story. It's the story of a little girl who's three years old, and she's named Eve, and she's growing up in Thailand. And Eve's family is very, very poor. In fact, they're so poor that they take Eve to the city. They take her to a district that is known for its brothels. And they dress three-year-old little Eve provocatively, and they have her begin to dance in the street, which begins to attract a crowd, and from that crowd they extract money. And they make her keep this up until she's utterly exhausted. And the next morning they wake her up again to do the exact same thing. And the way they keep her at the task is to put drugs into her juice so that she can continue to perform and this goes on for some three years. And uh, little Eve uh, is weary. Uh, she's drug addicted. She's uh, miserable. She's exhausted. But she has no choice because she's earning a very handsome income for her family. And to make matters worse, she becomes something of an internet sensation uh, on, on uh, video and so forth. It's about that time that a group named A21 uh, discovers Eve. Her pupils are dilated. She's exhausted. She's obviously been abused. And they contact the police, and the police intervene in a raid, and they take Eve, and they, they put her with A21, and A21 uh, gets her to safety. And today Eve is a little seven-year-old little girl who is uh, in counseling and getting medical treatment, But she goes to school, which she loves, and she particularly loves gymnastics. And all of that is in Eve's life uh, due to the grace of God, and particularly as manifest through a group called A21. This morning uh, we have at the podcast Christine Kane, and Christine and her husband Nick some nine years ago founded this organization called the A21 Campaign. You have described yourselves in A21 as uh, uh, abolitionists uh, with a mission to end slavery. Let me ask you a rhetorical question, Christine. Uh, Thanks to William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect, uh, uh, slavery was ended in England in uh, 1833, and here in the United States, the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. So, why do we need new abolitionists?
2: We definitely need new. Well, thank you firstly for having me on the You're program. Welcome. Thanks for being And with us. I love it. You know, A21 has an audacious goal that's right to abolish slavery everywhere forever. And um, I think we threw in the word forever as well because. Of the question you just asked me hang on a minute look what William Wilberforce had done mm. in England look at the Emancipation Proclamation Act in North America and yet there are more slaves on the earth today than ever before in the history of humanity um, and it, it's the way we've defined slavery uh, looks different in different parts of the world now as well I think in um, the story that you just explained about Eve the horrific story uh, is Um, It's not like perhaps some of the slavery where we were putting African slaves on boats and, you know, they were coming across the ocean and then being sold. Well, it can look at anything from Eve to, there is still in Bulgaria, uh, we have recently come into our care, a young woman who was sold, really, it was like a stock market. There was, uh, some of our workers were there. There were hundreds of men there and traffickers putting one woman up after the other and Mm. selling her 300 euros, 400 euros. So, At Libya, if you're looking at the news right now, you're seeing men are being sold um, for three or four hundred US dollars. And so you go, I can't actually believe I'm watching this all over again. But there's that kind of slavery. A lot of the young women we work with in Eastern Europe have been taken from rural villages, promised jobs. In say Greece, where we have one of our um, one of our aftercare centres, and it's called organised Crime Bill because it's very organised, and so they will set up a set up a shelf company in Greece, and so the girls then get a permit to come into Greece to get a job, except the organisation does not really exist. So when they come across the border, the traffickers often take them, rape them, sell them into brothels. Um, prosecuting a lot of those cases poses a Uh, Increased problem because they've gotten uh, to prove that you were forced to come over when you actually got a permit to come over for for a job and you came. I mean, it is just so complex. There's a lot of complexities involved with prosecuting that in many countries that we work. Um, human trafficking is not a crime. You can't prosecute something that's not a crime. You can't convict someone with something. So we um, in a lot of places that we go, we put lawyers in first to begin to change laws in order to make it a crime so that we can actually help to represent the victims. We are working with a a boy in Greece now. He he came out of Syria, was trafficked through Turkey, sold for sex for three years from the ages of 15 to 18 Um, and he miraculously escaped. Two weeks ago, he's come into our care now and we're putting him through so we have um here's one in um that were getting girls pregnant in brothels in greece taking them up to northern bulgaria in what they call infant farms forcing the girls to have those babies and then s- selling those newborn infants into pedophile rings mm. and then taking the organs of the girls and selling them on black market so trafficking has many, many different faces, faces.
1: So it's not all just sexual exploitation, it's also exploitation of labor.
2: Labor is the major, major, and um, of course organ trafficking. It's it's horrific um, when it looks at, you know, for a young woman who's sexually exploited, she's worth about 250,000 euros to a trafficker per annum, and um, before... In many cases, then they will sell off their organs once they uh, can't sell them for sex anymore. It's like cattle. And one of our, uh, one of the traffickers that was being convicted in Greece, the in in the Supreme Court, the judge asked him, "Why do you traffic young women?" I mean, she was a teenager, and he said, "Because the fines." For trafficking people are far less than trafficking armaments or drugs, and with them, you can do what you want. You just kick them, and they'll do what you want them to do. Mm. So there's the dehumanization of the person, which really is the only way you can do that.
1: Dehumanization is the operative word. Well, I want to come back to dehumanization, but I want to roll the clock back a little bit. First of all, Tell me tell me about yourself, and, and where were you born? Uh, what, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your story.
2: I was uh, born in Australia. You know, uh, Melbourne, Australia, has got the second largest Greek population outside of that. I I noticed an accent. <laughs> this is how the convicts speak the Queen's English. Well, maybe, so. <laughs> maybe you
1: noticed my accent.
2: Well, you well, yes, I noticed, yours because, see, you all threw the tea out in Boston, and we yes. kind of took we, – we carry the Commonwealth on. That's us. Okay. Um, I'm laughing because now you have a prince that's marrying an American, yes. so we are all more related than we'd like to think. But anyway, so I was born in Australia, but, um, you know, the daughter of Greek immigrants, my parents came from Alexandria, Egypt. And so there was a mass um, when all the Greek Orthodox Christians were being persecuted in Izmir, Turkey. My grandparents fled from there through Greece into Alexandria. Then when King Farouk got overthrown, my parents had to flee from Alexandria to Australia. Wow. And, um so kind of. So you're be. a refugee, oh, very much as... so, all the way from Izmir through to Alexandria to Australia, and now um, we're living in America. So I'm applying for citizenship now. So I have that immigrant journey all the way around Absolutely. the world. Absolutely, And I found out at 33, quite shockingly, um, and not enough time to go into the detail here, but I found out that I was adopted. In fact, I'm one of there was three siblings. My older brother George, my younger brother Andrew. I was in the middle, Christine, hmm. uh, right there in the middle. And we found out that my brother was adopted from one set of parents, I was adopted from another set of parents, and my younger brother is the only biological child. But we thought we all were biological children. So it's quite shocking at 33 to find out you're not who you thought you were. Sure. And... um, I was the daughter. All I know from the legal papers is that my mother was a um, an immigrant woman, single woman, lived in immigrant housing, who got pregnant to a 55-year-old married man um, and left me at the hospital. And so there were forced adoptions back in, the Austra- in Australia in the 60s. Mm. And so um, that's how I ended up in my home. You had to adopt the same nationality, same religion. So there was not many Greek people looking for um, babies and then Greek Orthodox as well on top of all of that. So that's kind of how I ended up in my home, found that out at 33. And um, and from the time I was very young until my teenage years, I'd also experienced uh, sexual abuse at the hands of oh several gosh. different men. So in many ways, you know, I was very broken. Uh, my story uh, could be the story of any one of our traffic victims. The yes. difference was I was born in Australia where there was a rule of law. So mm-hmm. there was an adoption system set up. But, you know, we rescue kids that have been taken from orphanages in Romania, Albania, a, Bulgaria. Right. I could have been. Yes, I am right. there's one degree you can of separation. With oh, those very kids. much so. And my birth certificate doesn't have a name. It's number two five oh eight of nineteen sixty six. That's the deal. And so I go for me when people throw out numbers like forty million slaves. Well, forty million, if I said to you number two five oh eight, you wouldn't even think about it. Um, but when I say that's Christine Kane, it changes everything mm-hmm. because numbers are so dehumanizing right. and desensitizing. And so I think in many cases cases we can ignore suffering when it's nameless and faceless but to God nobody is nameless nobody is faceless everyone is created with his image um, on the inside of them and so we're trying to put a human face on you know when I first started talking about uh, slavery 10 years ago Not many people were talking about it in the church, you know. Um, And then I remember some people would say things to me, especially when it came to sex trafficking. Well, Christine, are you trying to tell me that these girls are not asking for it? Are these women are not? um, It was stunning to me. Mm -hmm. I thought I have a, well, now I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old never once did either of my daughters in their growing up years come to me and say mummy I'd love to be a prostitute right uh, you know that right. it, it was it's so never girls been don't uh, grow up yeah, <laughs> wanting that <laughs> never so that's what I think like no no nobody wants that mm. and um, when you work really within it when you're prosecuting traffickers and you're seeing uh, especially there's a lot of mafia in in Europe um, and South Africa and Asia where we work involved we work extensively in in Um, We've had some miracles in Thailand. We work with the Thai Internet Crimes Against Children, um, the Thai Royal Police, Homeland Security and FBI from here and have set up in Pattaya, which is the pedophile capital of the world, a child advocacy centre. But some of the things that we've been exposed to there, I mean, for people that don't believe evil exists, just need to spend one minute. In, in that Child Advocacy Center and go the depravity of humanity of what people are able to do. We have a child in our care that is 18 months old right now with a broken pelvis, mm. and you don't even want to know what, you know, oh. the levels of depravity of what people uh, will go to and the child porn, what, what babies, and like Eve, um, the the child pornography and internet porn that these children are drugged. and. Abused and then that is sold on the internet. It's just incomprehensible where we've reached as a society.
1: Well, yes, we don't want to dehumanize people with numbers, but but in terms of numbers, I mean. My understanding is this is a growing problem in the world. And-
2: Certainly, because the way we're measuring it is different. So when I started, it was 27 million. You could easily lose heart and go, well, Christine, now it's 40 million. The yeah. UN has just right. released, you know, latest figures. But we're measuring it more effectively now. And I think children like Eve are being included in those numbers. There was a day they wouldn't have been. It would have been, well, that's just that culture. You know, uh, that's just child brides. At- mm mm-hmm. Eight, nine, ten years old. Whereas now we're going, no, no, that's not just um, a cultural thing to use a, a child, yeah. uh, um, in that way. We, we, so I think the way we measure what is trafficking has changed very much. So you,
1: you mentioned culture, and I'm, I'm sure that different cultures around the world do view this differently. My yes. wife, for a while, uh, has been working with a, a group that's uh, working with women who are sexually trafficked in a Southeast Asia yes. country, mm. and. Um, it was it was a new thought that i came by f- through that work that that this was not a moral issue this was an economic issue that yes. these women would leave their families and and go into prostitution in order to send money back home not only so their families could live but more importantly their elders could live yes and that it was not based on you know guilt and a moral thing it was a shame thing the shame would not be the sex the shame would be not providing for your parents.
2: Absolutely. And it's it's so hard. Uh, a lot of what we do is in our prevention and awareness programs is we have a, a school curriculum. So it's here in the US, but it's through Asia and um, through Europe. And I mean, in every country we're in, we work with the education department to make the curriculum you know pertinent to that country. But the program, uh, the essence of it is still the same. It's called Bodies Are Not Commodities. Mm. And it's we have to uh, work Right from kindergarten, because you're talking about something that's woven into the very fabric of society. Yeah. Uh, you've got those cases in Southeast Asia in countries like Greece where prostitution is legal, a rite of passage. So when a young boy, and I'm Greek you know, by heritage, right. so when a, a boy turns 13, it's highly common that his grandmother as his rite of passage into manhood is to take him to a prostitute. Hmm. And it's almost like incomprehensible for us to go, you know, a 13-year-old boy would be taken by his grandmother and she would pay for him. Now, this is a supply and demand issue because then we think good Greek girls wouldn't want to do that do you want me to help me to understand why Uzbekistan girls would or why Romanian girls got away? But then what you've done is you've objectified people, you've othered people. And so then you, what you have then is a lot of race issues, a lot of um, kind of, You know, it is amazing to me the racism that is inherent all around the world. It's like, well, they're just Serbians or they're just – I mean, I hear this. I'm on the ground. I'm going, you're kidding me. Are they not human beings? Do you think these girls – and it's almost like I talk to rational people that just look at me and go, well, that's just what they do. That's just what Roma gypsies do. We're working with a Bulgarian – It's uh, the new normal. It's the new normal. And I'm like, that's not just what anybody does. But if you – the objectification happens at every level for for the victim that's been trafficked – um, but also just the way we look at society. We go, these people are less than. This is what they, whether it's the caste system in certain societies or whether it's a, an unsaid caste system that exists everywhere. My nation is better than your nation. My culture is better than your culture. We work with this in the former sort of Eastern European bloc all the time. And I grew up like that, you know. Um, we were outcasts in Australia, being Greek, but you know the Greeks and Turks and um, Macedonians have had, had conflict. And I thought, this is not an issue that is just for one country; it's everywhere it's around the world. Yeah, it's global.
1: So, at what point did you and Nick say we need to start an organization? and, yeah. and how did the name A Twenty One campaign come my about?
2: Most asked question. Well, um, I was traveling to speak at a women's conference in Thessaloniki, uh, Greece. And so, of course, I have relatives throughout Greece, and Greek is my first language, and so going home it is in many ways. And um, but when I stopped um, to get my bags at baggage claim, there were these posters of women and children, many posters, and there was a disproportionate amount, like dozens. And what had happened at that time? About a decade ago, a young girl called Madeline was taken in Portugal. If people might remember, her parents were having dinner, and she was in a room with a couple of her siblings, and when they went home, she wasn't there. Well, Interpol was on high alert, so every airport you went to, her poster was up everywhere, but so were posters of other missing children. Now, I had looked at posters like this in other countries. I've done mission work for years, so in and out of Kiev, Poland, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's amazing how you can look and look away, yeah. Um, and look and overlook but yeah. for some reason I had just had my second child I was 40 mm. and there was as I was looking at these posters there was a little girl and her name was Sophia which was the name of my daughter that I had just birthed and for some reason whether it was maternal hormones I just had a baby I just or the Holy Spirit oh the Holy Spirit uh, that's exactly who it was um I Looked, but all of a sudden, in in an instant, this is what I call it, I call it my moment from I went from looking to seeing. Mm-hmm. I didn't just look at these missing children, and I could read it now because, of course it's Greek, it says missing, missing, missing. And I'm thinking, there's a lot of missing children and a lot of missing women. And I went from looking at a missing child to seeing who could have been my child mm-hmm. and when you see you can't unsee mm-hmm. and I, I just started weeping i could not look away and um, almost like it, you know in, in luke chapter 7 where jesus is a simon the pharisee's house and he mm-hmm. says to him simon do you see yes. this woman yes and um it was like that's what happened for it's like i saw she'd been there all the time and i i was no longer objectifying just going they're missing kids there i saw and i could not unsee and i i would say uh, spiritually that was the moment a21 was birthed because i mean i the, i still didn't know anything i walked i walked out crying um called my friend who was the director of unicef in copenhagen and then from there began to find out that these were the alleged victims of human trafficking and that was the moment when most like most people on the in the world i went This does not still happen today. Slavery ended. I mean, I've got an economic history degree, William (laughs) Wilberforce. I mean, I was, you know, and it's like, no, no, no. And that's when my eyes were opened up to the issue. And so we were thinking of a name and I'd like to say it was something spiritual it really wasn't it was we had to register something I had and I was in Europe and my PA was in Australia and she, and I just in a, she goes what are we going to call it I go I don't know we just have to abolish injustice in the 21st century that's what out of that it was like oh A21 that's literally how it came apart and that's it's stuck and it is really stuck um in an amazing way and i didn't realize actually having a name that was just like that has given us great access to governments and law enforcement because it's um non-threatening, just A21, and um, very easy to remember. And how it was sort of sealed for me was I came out of the gate at Frankfurt Airport, and I was going to catch my airplane from Frankfurt to Thessaloniki And um, as I was having my conversation. And I turned the corner, and my plane was leaving from gate A21. And it was like, you know what, when you're looking for confirmation, you'll take anything. Yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Okay, let me ask this question. Mm. I want to hear later about some of the You've got several layers that you have to work with to free someone from trafficking. Mm-hmm. But it sounds to me, based on what you're saying, that there's a there's a different angle on this. That what one of your most difficult and seemingly impossible tasks is getting people to see. Yes. How do you do that?
2: Yeah, thank God for prayer and the Holy Spirit. A lot of that so is It's a spiritual issue. I, I believe that totally. It's the only way it could exist in the. Uh, the way that it exists, undergirding it all. Um, And, you know, the enemy has blinded Mm. the eyes of people. You couldn't – if you saw people as people, you couldn't do this to people. And, uh, you know, it is interesting to me, the only thing that God created in his image were us human beings. And I just remember, even as I was trying to talk about it in churches, and I'm thinking, why are people resistant to this? Uh, It is an interesting thought that – on our watch, it will not be our legacy that human trafficking flourished on the earth the most during our tenure as the church. I mean, imagine when we stand before God and go, wow, that's how ineffective we were as the church. The only thing created in your image is humanity. And more than the trafficking of armaments and drugs, more frequent is the trafficking of human beings. There's something fundamentally wrong with that on every level, and perhaps it shows you the inherent blindness and deception and darkness in the world today.
1: Absolutely, I wonder if, uh, with the increasing technology and use of machines in our world, they were the original promise was we'll have all these wonderful machines, and that'll free humans up to do human things. And instead, it would appear that having all these machines is beginning to make humans more machine-like.
2: Very much so, because you can objectify, and that's how you dehumanize people. They think that I'm just watching a computer screen. And see, a lot of people don't want this stuff dealt with even in the Christian sector, because it exposes, and you have to deal with your own sin and what's happening in darkness. Because I say to people – If you want to partner with A21, here's a great way to partner. Turn your computer off and stop looking at porn. We we would help to eradicate the demand for a lot of this almost overnight Hmm. because it's a supply. It's an economic issue above everything. And you just, I can feel the tension in the room change oftentimes because it's like we could stop this even more than you giving me money. Turn your computer off.
1: Yeah. So when we when we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, I, I want to hear a little bit more about the turning your computer off. Um, I also want to want to talk a little bit more about the image of God and some of the theological dimensions of this thing, mm-hmm. and and frankly the whole sort of spiritual and spiritual warfare side of this thing. Yes, as well as to hear about some of the, as I said, the layers that you have to go through. There's a whole process of. It's not just sort of taking somebody out of that situation. There's a whole healing process that takes place.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests, like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com.
1: So you're, you're doing this out of out of your obedience uh, to Christ basically as a Christ Ab- follower.
2: Absolutely and you know I believe we've all got God's got a plan and a purpose for, for all of us and yes. oftentimes many of us think especially if we have a broken past like mine, a fragmented past that that God cannot use us. And I think if we really believe Romans 8:28 that God is going to work all things, even all the bad things together, for mm. our good and for His glory, I can see the broken fragments of my life, um, th- and and that Jesus not only rescued me, but now He's using me to rescue others and fulfil uh, Luke four eighteen. A lot of people, perhaps with my kind of past abuse and abandonment and uh, brokenness, would think, well, that I'm disqualified. You know, I'm disqualified from. And I'm thinking, it's the broken pieces of my past that God has woven together for His glory, and I'm. Um, you know what it's like when I sit in our transition homes with girls and go let me tell you my story and the same God that rescued me and healed me and restored me he can do it for you it gives uh, the victims of trafficking both men and women because we you know we have many many men um, both rescued especially men out of forced labor but many out of sex trafficking as well especially young boys mm. um, sure. and for, for me to be able with conviction to look at their eyes and say, the same spirit that has helped set me free and brought healing to my inner man um, can do it for you. There's there's a, there's a strength that comes with that, that I really, really believe this stuff. I really believe that no matter how bad their story has been, Jesus does redeem. Jesus can heal and restore. And Luke 4.18, outside of him, I don't know what hope there is, but mm. Luke 4.18, if more of us Actually, really believed it, Uh, we would have a revival on the earth because people are hungry for that truth.
1: Oh, absolutely. Worldwide. Worldwide. You talk a lot about uh, people and particularly women who live in shame. In fact, you have a book that you Mm -hmm. came out with last year called Unashamed. Drop the Baggage, Pick Up Your Freedom, Fulfill Your Destiny. Now, you know, some people could read that and say, oh, drop the baggage, fulfill your freedom, fulfill your destiny. That's another self-help book. Oh, yeah. I, You're not have, talking about self-help. Oh, I'm not
2: talking about but self-help. Talk, I'm talking about, about God's about, help. <laughs>
1: talk yes. to us about women that live in shame and and, and and being freed from that shame. Yeah,
2: I think it's massive, and I think it's – certainly men and women um in the shame is nothing new genesis 2 25 adam and eve were naked and there's only one thing that scripture says that they didn't know Mm. they knew no shame or they were naked and unashamed depend what version you read and i thought how interesting that the last verse in genesis chapter 2 before the fall that god wants us to know i created you not to know one thing and that one thing is shame Shame. so if you are the enemy What's the one thing you would want to put on humanity because you would unravel them because it's the one thing God created them to never know. So that's where we come in right through in Genesis 3. That's where shame comes into the garden. And it always starts with the question, did God really say, if you don't know what God said, you're going to believe what the enemy says every time. So um, the enemy wants to stop the word of God going forth so people don't know what God has said or He'll get people to twist what God has said so people will believe the lie of the enemy. And then God comes into the garden. He says, where are you? Where are you? So the, first, the first conversation, God and man is, I was naked and afraid, and so I hid. So wow. na- you know, shame, fear, and hiding in the first conversation between Adam and God. It's been there ever since. And then God's like, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? You didn't naked? get that from me. Who, yeah, I didn't. And so I feel like um, it's nothing new. It started at the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. and it is still the modus operandi of the enemy. That conversation still going still on. goes in people's heads every day. Yeah. And so, for me, um, I didn't know what God said, so I believed what my abusers had told me. I believed what uh, I believed the lie of even my whole origin for so long. You know, there was there, but so I had to replace. That's why for me, the Word of God, it's not. Uh, just a cute thing. You've got to memorize the scripture. It, it is life and death. I, there was, a, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I had to literally replace the thoughts that I had that I'm unworthy, uh, you know, that I'm used goods, that God could never use me. Um, all the fundamental lies that have been sown in my head for decades. I had to renew my mind with the word of God, so replace. So it literally, it's kind of like uh, formed new patterns of thinking in my in my brain. So when I understood what God said about me and who God said I was and what God said I could do according to His word, it changed everything. Something shifted. It changed everything, and that to me, whether it comes to our victims or the perpetrators of the crime, s- there's only one way for that to change. It's yeah. the word of God.
1: So let's go back to. Uh, the story I told at the very beginning of Eve or someone like her, because you told several stories like that. So you you find this person that's being trafficked. And what's the process then that you take them through?
2: Yeah. I mean, and again, there's a unique Cause, process. Because there's for, many
1: pieces to uh, very, it.
2: It's very complex, and we're very holistic in our yeah. um, care. And of course, we care for everyone, body, soul, and spirit. And you don't even <laughs> – it's very hard for people to understand uh, the trauma, the amount of trauma. You know, if you've got – a young woman that's been raped 40 times a day for three years. Right. The, the, what is done to their, you know, God created us body, soul, and spirit. And um, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. So we're tripartite beings, and all of that is so damaged. Right. And um, even if a Girl or a child or a man comes out and, and say they even get uh, saved the next moment. Sure. And they love God with all their heart or their soul or their mind, but they the love wounds. God with all their broken heart or their yes. wounded soul and all their tormented mind. Yes. And so you've got to help that to be reshaped. And that is a process. Um, I say that to people, you know, when I came to Christ with my wounded soul, my spirit was born again immediately, no issue. Uh, but the same wounds I had, Before I said the sinner's prayer were the same words I carried when I said amen. And there was a process um, of restoration. I think sometimes we don't allow for that. And if uh, we did, we would see a lot more people come through to wholeness. And so we see, of course, there's uh, the physical care. We work with the medical profession, Mm -hmm. with hospitals, wherever we are, because there's often been incredible damage. Many many of the young women won't short of a miracle won't be able to bear a child you know there's a lot of damage done there um so there's physical damage the the emotional trauma uh so there's ongoing help there very much so we have great trauma um specialists that we work with the best of the best in their field and um i find you know when someone is a very strong believer and has a great foundation in the word as well as their skill in what they do you see results a lot more often you really do and i think um, you know, I've only been in this for 10 years, but certainly within 10 years in what we've measured thus far, why we see – and people are – start. I mean, you know, secular organizations are like, wow, you guys, we have like a 95% right, success asking, rate. How did you yeah, do that? and they're like less than 5%, and we're like 95%, right. and you go, well, let me tell you. And, um, and so there is – that side is huge. And we have a process of restoration. So for some people, and in some countries, and again, we have just different models in every country. Sure. So in some countries, uh, we work with families where children um, come into, and we work ongoing with them. But rather than going into an adoption, into a sort of a uh, a home system, um, they go into families. And so we work um, extensively there. And the more often you can put children into a good family Mm -hmm. with all the resources, That they need, Mm -hmm. uh, the healthier that is. In other models in Europe, we have for older um, girls, perhaps between 18 to 25. We have different group homes and an aftercare system of short term and then longer term up to two years. Um, and then As they build new as habits they, oh, and very much, so. and, and because and big skills, because the biggest thing is life skills. Yes. Life skills is a huge thing because many of them have never been taught, even basic life skills, and then job skills. Exactly. I love in Bulgaria, we're starting whole factories. Um, our, our, we have a Liberty, it's called Liberty, and um, it, it is a for-profit business where we are teaching them to make scarves. I mean, there's whole different enterprises, but social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is exciting to me because the more of that we can do, because we, we're talking about nations with abject poverty, so so if you can empower um, the survivors to come out and then have ongoing means of uh, finance and resource and get to keep the money and that keep they're the wait- money, then right. they are a whole lot less likely to be retrafficked. A lot of this is a systemic cycle. Yes. Um, you go back. A lot of their families won't take them back because of the shame, even if they were the ones that sold them. I'm finding that we can't – there's many cases that the families will not take. There's certain Southeast Asian countries where – what happened with China had the one-child policy, you know, for Mm -hmm. all those years. And many young women were killed during that time because, you know, if it was a boy, uh, they survived. Well, what happens in a lot of these Southeast Asian countries now, a lot of the boys have grown up in China. And what have we found? There's an absence of women because of the one-child policy, right. so now they want women. So they're trafficking, I mean, by the hundreds of thousands hmm. of women. So we're working with certain countries. So is at, it like a mail-order bride kind of thing? Or yes, sorta? yes, very no. much. Sort of that, a mail-order woman, period, yeah. yes. It's, but yes, right. it's a, the same kind of system, but they would just bring in train loads or truckloads and then just disperse them out to the families that want them.
1: Because I, I saw uh, another form of... Uh, Slavery is to actually be married to somebody, but you're 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 basically doing all the menial work with no pay.
2: Oh, very much. You're like a domestic servant. Yes.
1: Yes, you're a domestic servant. That's
2: what you are. You're a domestic servant and a sex slave, and it was done against your will. Your family might have sold you through a male order service, and um, I mean, I that is everywhere. That is here, and that is in um. Loads of nations in the world and we're constantly, we've got teams working on back ends of uh, the Internet and working with organizations like Facebook extensively going, how can we expose these kind of uh, scams that are set up really? They're just a a glorified system of trafficking. And so you end up with women more often than not that are just the victims of domestic servitude or Mm. uh, a a legal, legally sanctioned form of sex trafficking, basically. That's really what it comes down to. So, um, and a trafficker will come up with the most ingenious methods of using the law to their advantage. Sure, it's a business st- proposition. There it is. And I still, you know, no wonder Scripture says and we were talking about this in the break that um, that money is the ro- the love of money is right. the root of all evil. Because what drives this even more than a hatred for people, or even more than misogyny or patriarchy or whatever term you want to put on it, what drives it right. is the love of money, right. and that is the root of the evil that uh, continues to to just perpetuate this, this whole system. And it just, it is on every continent. We have offices in every continent um, on earth. And just when I think I've seen it all, you see, there's so a new, I mean, my husband will come to me and go, Chris, we've just got a victim and this is what ha-. And I'm like, I can't, who stays up at night and works this stuff out on how to do this? Because it is shocking, it is tragic, it's it is evil. gut-wrenching, it is evil. And that's the nature of evil. So if anyone wants to tell you that, you know, when I really read Revelations and there's really no evil in the world, I'm like, come and work with me for a day and I'll help you understand that evil exists on the earth today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I I've always felt that uh, sin and evil is one of the best apologetics there is for the Bible because the Bible tells us about sin and evil.
2: Absolutely. And
1: if, if you can't see sin and evil in this world, I don't know what to do for you. This world absolutely needs a Savior.
2: Uh, absolutely. That's what – above everything, if we needed more entertainment, we'd have an entertainer. We we <laughs> needed saving. So God sent us a Savior, And um, I, m- me first and foremost, but 10 years on in this work. Um, and the reason I think when people – again, the flip side, Bill, people come and look at our offices. You know, uh, we have 14 offices around the world, and our staff is still faith-filled and joy-filled and hope-filled. And I know that is as much a testimony to law enforcement and governments, because, of course, we work across every sector. And they're like, you have such a low turnover of staff. Your staff actually are full of joy and hope and you have success. And again, it is a great way to have testimony uh, to be to testify to the fact that. you know, truly the joy of the Lord is our strength that you can have hope even in the midst of darkness when you know the light and you can bring and penetrate light in the darkness. I don't need to uh, lose hope. Jesus is the hope we have as an anchor for our soul. And that I think to do this kind of work for as long as we have and continue to have faith and hope and joy, um, you truly do become a prisoner of hope in that sense. And that I think ultimately that's where the eternal hope comes in, that I know this isn't the end of the story. And for every one victim we see rescued – there is great hope but jesus is coming back and there is redemption coming and there is an ultimate hope and i think that is what drives us and that doesn't make me stop and not want to do good works on the earth that's actually quite the contrary it gets me up every day with a spring in my step and a smile on my face going come on um we've got we we, we could just take this light into the darkness and we can help one person today and i keep doing it for the one i don't get overwhelmed mm. by the 40 million it's right. like You know, people go, Chris, are you really making a difference? I'm like, let me take you in and meet one of my survivors and tell me. Tell me if it makes a difference for them. And that's enough to get me out of bed today.
1: Well, I love that uh, focus on the one. I I, I like to think uh, grace is basically practiced at the retail level. Beautiful. And we have a modern day Pentecost going on around the world. Uh, Not so much here in the United States, but in South America, Africa, and Asia. People are coming to faith so quickly that. Uh, it, it it's almost a pro- a problem if if I can put it that way. So, God's got His people on the way, and and He's He's plucking people out of darkness into light. But how does that church? I mean, I just think of these millions of of, of new believers and these these hundreds of thousands of new churches, many of them small churches, yes, springing up just by the Spirit of God. How do we? Help them become aware of this, and then how do what do they do? How do they intervene
2: Yeah, I think it's great um, and and again. You know, I think some people have seen the movie Taken and think I've got a particular set of skills. Get me on a plane. I want to go over right. and, yes. and utilize them. <laughs> I, I th- Here is what I, I truly believe that um, there are organisations like us and our dear friends IJM that are doing brilliant work globally um, yes. around this. So IJM I th- International, yes, Justice International Justice, yeah. and Gary Haugen, and yes. those guys are dear friends yeah, of ours and uh, great guys. And so I think one of the first things that is the most helpful is get uh, or contact organizations like ours that are out there and doing it that have got credibility with governments because we're not going to just stop this by thinking I'm going to go and do a raid and I'm going to I mean we actually don't need that what we need is saying okay um, some people need to be better educated and better resourced and both IJM and us have got great resources and great tools to say we can help you to help train your people on being aware of this issue. But then one of the best things you can do as a local church is partner with organizations like us that have got um, professionals, incredible people that have already built the relationships that need to be built, that are already down the road in this field, because together we are better. And um, you can provide resources that we haven't got. We can provide expertise that you haven't got. So there so, is
1: some expertise needed.
2: M- some if we're going to end this truly uh, yes a lot and You're I saying
1: think, in a sense you know do not try this at home. Yeah, this I, I very much do because I think amateurs. it could do
2: more damage. Number one it's it, it, if when we're talking about true, true true anti-trafficking work it is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a danger. Um we can't be ignorant of that. And so um it is important to you know If if I was going to have to have surgery, I had thyroid cancer a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, I had a lot of really well-meaning people, and I was happy for them to pray for me, but I only wanted... Um, a cancer specialist and a surgeon to operate on me. And so my thing is, it's the same with this. I want everyone to pray for us, and then we need some specialists to go in and do the work that needs to be done. And so I think the more we realize that we're one body, many part, and God has raised us up and anointed us to each do certain things, I think the more we awaken to that, the more effective we would be on the earth, because we've got a lot of really great, well-meaning, good-hearted people but alone you can only do so much together we can actually make a a huge difference and wisdom Wisdom is very important because it takes every sector. It does take the government sector. It takes the not-for-profit sector, but it takes the education. I mean, we want to do preventative work in schools, in institutions. We want to work with the government. Law enforcement is a huge uh, thing we need to work with. We're launching a campaign here in North America, and it's already in Europe and Asia, called Can You See Me, which in every airport... Um, every train station, everywhere there's mass transport um, where they have video screens. Uh, there is short three and four minute movies that, are, um, that we've produced specific to every continent. Uh, and again we've had to go through governments and to get all this approved and shown. And so it's, it helps you to identify the victims of trafficking. So we're putting it out there on billboards, on um, screens, public service television, on helping to educate people that have no idea of, wow, okay, can you see me as a program of um, how a victim can be right in your midst and then this will show you, wow, can you see them? This is how you can identify them. And because of a lot of that programming and educating uh People in airports and the people that work in airports and air yes. hostesses and, yes. you know, we have had many people rescued um, out of that and uh, been identified on airplanes, been identified in airports, been identified at train stations, bus stations and people that before would had no idea that this could be a potential victim. We're helping people to identify them in their workplace uh, here in America. Um, it is amazing because it's trafficking here in America is hidden in plain sight. I was going to say. And so we need people to um, – we have three offices here in North America and we have aftercare. We work with survivors. It is. It would shock people to see how prevalent it is in this nation as well. But it's hidden in plain sight right in front of us. And so our job is to help awaken people. Can you see them? Like we want you – because if we're all working together, we can become – far more alert. I think most people think if I want to be involved and I want to help, do I start a shelter? Well, the goal is we're trying not to start a lot of them because we want to give people effective pathways to be reintegrated. And most victims, and even here in America... Um,
1: they want a life. They
2: want a life. They don't want to go into, uh, you know, organised institutional care, and especially when they're 18, 19, 20, right. um, they want to be trained to have a job and to be healed. So that's what we do, is we have uh, short-term transition places, but in it all, um, we're helping them get necessary education and and skills so that they can have a life and be contributors. Everyone wants to be that. They want to. They don't want to be. They don't even want their primary identity, which is why you don't often see me go. Here's a survivor. Now we have some. Yeah, they're on staff, right. because they don't want that uh, to be their primary we're identity. Back to shame, right? Yeah, totally.
1: So if somebody wanted to stick a toe in the, in the water, mm-hmm. as it were, and and this their heart is stirring in them. Do you have volunteer opportunities or other opportunities with A21? Yes, we
2: have great volunteer opportunities at every level, from whether you – you know, you want to be involved uh, in the legal side or the psychology side, or you've got a great heart and you think, I don't really have a lot of skills, but I've got a very willing heart um, to that level of administrative skills. But if you go to A21.org, there is a volunteer application form and we will help you with all of that. For those also, there's 21 things on our website that you don't even need money for that if this conversation has stimulated and you go, I want to do something today – you can go, and we will show you how to write a letter to your congressperson. How you can support something. So it's all there: a21.org.
1: Good. Well, I want to encourage our listeners and, and visitors to uh, to go to that website. And uh, Christine, this is uh, this has been so helpful for you to kind of illumine us as to this huge problem.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, fortunately, I know that you believe we have a huge God. Yes, in fact, An do. infinite God. And this task is beyond anything that any one of us has the means of, of dealing with.
2: Absolutely. but I, And I'm with you that, you know, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we can ever ask, hope, or think according to that power that works in us. And so I believe that what is impossible with man, Jesus said at first, <laughs> is possible with God, and with God all things are possible and nothing is impossible. That's why I believe that we can abolish slavery everywhere forever.
1: We have to believe that, and then we also have to act on that. We have to trust God for that. And uh, we've had a woman address this with us today, and she is bringing us back to a woman who spoke to her son in Proverbs 31, 9 and 10. King Lemuel had a mother who said, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the sight of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge rightly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's our call. That's our task. That that is what the Word of God has called us to. Christine, thank you for modeling that for us. And uh, come back and and visit us on our next podcast of The Table.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.